Can you imagine your life where money is your friend, working with you to achieve all your dreams and desires? If you struggle seeing money as your friend, then join Kathy Cook Noble, financial advisor and educator on understanding how your money can work for you. It is possible. Now, here is Financially Speaking with Kathy Cook Noble. Good afternoon and welcome to Financially Speaking. I am Kathy Cook Noble. I'll be your host. We'll be hanging out for the next hour or so. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, something I think is really fun anyway, but then when you add finance to it, it really makes it a party. But they're acronyms. And what do they all mean? So let me preface this by t- telling you all what you already know, that there is a ton of acronyms out there, whether you're texting and you'll BRB or BTW, that was LOL. Um, there is just a lot of acronyms out there. It's almost uh, like another language that you're learning. And finance is no different. And I think that this is the one area where people start to feel a little overwhelmed because they hear all these acronyms and they're not used to hearing them. So they're afraid to ask questions of the person that they're talking to, their advisor or planner or whoever it might be because they don't want to feel dumb and I think you know what let's just take on these acronyms and then you'll feel a little bit more comfortable and hey you know what maybe you'll throw some of them in and you'll feel really smart and like you know what you're talking about and throw off a few other people too so let's talk about acronyms tonight now this is by no stretch me giving you any investment advice I'm not telling you that one of these particular investments is good over another for you. They're all individual. So take this more as a, a fun lesson in acronyms than it is anything else because it's for sure not invent- any investment advice. I can't tell you whether or not you need a RSP or an RESP or whether it's a TFSA. Everybody's situation is different. And yes, I'm going to tell you what all those are and what they mean. But uh, everyone's situation is different. And that's the one thing about finance that I really like people to understand is you could be twins with the same job living on the same street, married to twins, and your situation is different. So every single person out there has a different situation for their own finances. And it's really important that you respect that and don't let somebody talk you into something that you're not comfortable with. Or if they're not willing to explain it, then maybe look and See if you can talk to somebody else in the financial world because you should never be made to feel like you don't understand your finances. And you should certainly never be made to feel like uh, that was a dumb question or you shouldn't ask certain things because you should. Because let's be honest, who cares more about your money than you do? Nobody. That is you. That is your money, your retirement, your family. So you absolutely ask any questions you want. And when people start talking to you in acronyms, you tell them to slow down or tell you what they are, or you just start talking in acronyms, even if you make them up just to throw them off, because that is your money. So I want everyone to be confident, understanding their money. And that is what this show is really all about. This is about us just stripping back all the complexities that seem to be put out there about finances and make it more fun because it is fun. It is fun to make money. It's fun to have money saved for your retirement. It's fun to be able to look at your investments and say, hey, I'm doing all right, or I'm going to be able to retire on time, or my kids are going to be able to go to med school or college or university or art school or whatever you want them to go to, if you want them to go at all. But you just want to be able to have that flexibility and have that ability to uh, make those decisions yourself. So 
just always, this is the show that is going to put the money and the financial decisions in your hands, uh, in your, it's your plan, it's your timetable, and it's all about you. And that's really what your finances should be. And it frustrates me because I look at some commercials and some ads and I think that's not really about the person. That's all about sometimes the advisor or the institution. And it's it shouldn't be. It should be always about you because it's your money and nobody cares more than you do. So always remember that. It's your money. You ask anytime you want. So let's let's just jump in and talk about some of these acronyms. And I'm going to start with one that I think everybody hears and doesn't really know about. And they hear this this term called the Dow and how the Dow did and or the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is what it stands for. And the Dow is just the abbreviated version of what we call the market. And everybody hears about the market and they're like, oh, the market was up, the market was down, the market was flat, the market's a bear, bearish, the market's a bull market, the market is something. There's always something going on with the market. And what is the market? It's this, what do we picture? It's not where we go and trade tomatoes, it's where we go and trade money. And we have to have an exchange or some place where we can go and do that. And since you can't go on Saturday morning to the market to exchange your your money, you have to have a, a venue that you can use. And a long, long time ago, a couple guys came up with this terminology called, and this institution called the Dow. And it was the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And that, they started it back in 1896. Now, that's just for trivia because nobody's ever going to ask you that. But the Dow is the area where you hear people talking about the Dow up, the Dow down. The Dow closed at just under 25,000, which is actually what happened today. And the Dow trades between 9.30 in the morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Eastern Standard Time. And that's Monday to Friday. And those are the five days that you're trading your money, where you're exchanging your money. And this is really what the Dow is. It's your place that you go to. And we're going to call it the market because... The market is really the place that we're going to trade, right? So when you think about the the farmer's market or any kind of produce market, this is the money market. And this is because we don't physically go to the place to trade the money every day, even though there are physical places. The, the Dow is located in New York on Wall Street. We've all heard about that, I'm sure. There's lots and lots of movies where you see Wall Street. And the Dow is based on the United States, another acronym, the USA. So that's their market. The market that we use in Canada is the TSX, and that's the Toronto Stock Exchange. And guess what that's based on? The Canadian market. And that is on a, a city called Bay Street in Toronto. So there is a physical place, but you don't actually go there to trade your money. That's where you have people like me who are advisors, and we deal with the people who are physically there, and they trade your money for you. So... The Dow Jones Industrial Average, when you hear people talking about the market or you hear people talking about the Dow's up or the Dow's down, now you're going to know what it is. It's your it's your place to go to trade your money. And the TSX is the Canadian version of it. So when you hear people talking about the Canadian or the American market, you're going to know that those are the two exchanges. So the Dow Jones, in in, in a nutshell, is... The stock market index, and it's showing how 30 of the largest publicly traded companies based in the United States trades in a trading session. So if those 30 large publicly traded companies are are trading higher, then the Dow ends up higher. If they're trading on an average lower, then the Dow ends up lower. And they say the Dow is down or the Dow is up. And that's what it is. 
So I'm just going to share with you a tiny bit of trivia because it's always kind of fun to have trivia. But the Dow started with 12 stocks originally. And the only original stock left trading on the Dow is General Electric. And that still trades today. And it started trading back in 1896, and it's still there now. So that's kind of fun trivia, you know, just when you're going to Trivial Pursuit and that comes up, now you're going to know. But the Dow Jones is the essentially the average of your 30 largest publicly traded companies. So there's a lot more stocks that are traded, for sure. But that's not how we calculate the Dow and the number that we that we hear people talking about being up or down. So that's our market, and that's how they, they calculate it. So it's kind of like if you're thinking of your farmer's market, the average price of the farmer's market would be maybe how many tomatoes and how many cucumbers and how many onions and and how many oranges or how many zucchinis were traded that day, and they have the top 30 vegetables, and that's how they calculate the 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 market number. So that's how we do it, with only we're doing it with, non, with money and, and companies. And each of those companies has a stock, and that's what's traded on the exchange, which is a publicly traded company. So, and I'm not going to assume anything for anybody tonight. So if you already know this, you can be like, right on, I know this, give yourself a high five because that's cool. And if you don't know this, then you're going to be like, hey, right on, I get it. So the difference between a publicly traded company and a tri- and a private company is a publicly traded company is something that trades on our exchange, our market, on the Dow Jones or on the TSX, which is our Toronto one. There's all kinds of markets, by the way. Tonight, I'm just talking about the two main ones that we would hear about here in North America. There's the the Nikkei, which is change, trades in Japan, and there's China has one, Australia has. Everybody's got a market that they're paying, that they're playing in, and that they're trading on. But tonight, we're just going to talk about the two, the Dow and the TSX. And I might squeeze in a little bit on the Nasdaq because we do hear about that, and that is American. And the the Nasdaq is connected a little bit to the Dow. But um, it's really more about our technology people. So the Nasdaq is more like technology is more like the Dow, but it specializes in technology. So you do hear that a lot on the news too. Um, but those are again a collection of different, just a different sector in the market. So that's pretty cool. Um, so those are the different, the two different markets that we're going to talk about tonight. So I know that sounds super exciting, but now we know where they're trading. So when we start talking about investments then you know what we're talking about is every single thing that happens in the market is being traded typically on these two exchanges. So for tonight, we're just going to assume that these two are the the markets we're talking about. So for anybody that's just joining us, uh, we're just going to talk about these two. I know there's lots of other ones, but they're all working essentially in the same the same way, in the same market, in the same program, I mean, and they all trade same way. So when you start talk, when we start talking about um, or when you start talking to people about GICs and RSPs and RESPs and TFSAs, these are all traded in different kinds of funds. And funds are basically just a basket of stocks that have different sectors that are in them. So a mutual fund is just a basket of different stocks. So you could have a mutual fund that just focuses on healthcare, and it could have stocks in it that are owned by that are Johnson and Johnson. You might have Loblaws because Loblaws own shoppers. You might have uh, different kinds of healthcare companies that are in there. You might have different companies that make healthcare instruments. So that could be a healthcare mutual fund. It's different stocks of different companies. And when you are doing any of your investing or you're 
looking at doing either doing it yourself or you're doing it with an advisor, somebody like me, if you sit down with, I'm going to show you what's called a fun fact. And a fun fact, that's fund, F-U-N-D, although I know it's fun, it's not F-U-N, it's F-U-N-D, you get a fun fact on all your investments. And a fun fact is going to tell you these are the top stock holdings in this fund. This is what the average historical return has been. This is what the history has been on a calendar basis. This is who manages the fund. Um, it's going to tell you all these different things about the fund. And I have um, a shameless plug coming up, so everybody be prepared. But I'm just finishing a book that I've written, and it's going to be published this year in April. And it's all about making finance very simple. And in the book, I have a fun fact, and it's labeled showing you how to read the fun fact. So for anybody, and of course, I will do some plugging and and shamelessly sharing this with you all later But uh, as we get closer. But this is a great way for people to really understand how to read the fun fact. Because I think I get that question a lot is, um, I don't even know how to read it. Like, what do you do with it? And I have lots of people say, my statements come in the mail, and I don't know how to read them, so I just throw them in an envelope. And... I haven't, so I decided, you know what, we're going to write a book that's for plain language because people don't need to know and need to understand all the, the metrics and all the formulas and all the math that goes behind it because you're never going to do that as a, as a daily investor. You're never going to have access to that. A lot of the stuff you, that you need licenses for, unless you're planning on getting licensed, you're probably not reading it anyway or looking at it, but you do need to know how to read your statement. You do need to understand what your fun fact is because you do need to know what you're investing in. And remember what we said at the beginning is nobody cares more about your money than you do. So all you need to know is where your money's going and how it's doing when it's in there and whether or not you need to change it or whether or not something goes something different in your fund, then that's when your advisor is going to say, hey, I think we should change from this fund to that fund and this is why. And then you're going to be like, yeah, I agree because I understand how to read this and I understand the companies that are in it. So that's one of the one of the the problems that we're going to solve this year that I've taken on myself to to help us all understand in our own world and in our own finances because everybody's situation is different. Everybody's money is different. Uh, everybody has different amounts of money. Everybody has different goals with their money. Some people want to store it and save it and buy a boat and travel the world. Other people want to leave a legacy and make sure that their favorite charity is taken care of. You know, if you're, if you're partial to your hospital, I know I mentioned before I'm on the Hospital Foundation here in St. Thomas, and there's just a great, great bunch of people that are always working to really build the hospital. And there's a lot of community people that are saying, you know what, I want to leave something for my hospital when I'm when I'm not here, because you want to always be having a position where you can your money can always do good things. And I think that's really the important thing about money is money just is meant to do good things for people, yourself, your family, your community, whatever it might be. So. That's how the market really gets under control. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that you'll see advertised. And you think, oh, perfect. That's what I want because that's what you see advertised. And what you see advertised the most isn't necessarily what's best for you. So I think if I start with something like a GIC, that's what most people will be most familiar with because you see it advertised all the time in different ads by different institutions. A GIC, another uh, acronym, it stands for Guaranteed Investment Certificate. So a guaranteed investment certificate is, of course, something that comes with a guarantee. So what we'll look at with this GIC is 
what it is and how it connects to our portfolios. And our portfolios is our whole collection of all our stuff. So that's a collection of our investments, a collection of some of our cash that might be sitting there. And that's just our portfolio is our stuff, our financial stuff. So with that note, I am going to, we're going to go to our first break. And I know you're all going to be back and anxious to hear more about our guaranteed investment certificates, known as our GICs. And we will talk more about those when we get back. You are listening to Financially Speaking with myself, Kathy Cook-Noble, on the Inspired Choices Network. And when we return, we're going to continue to discuss all these cool acronyms and what they all mean. We'll be right back. Too many of us get caught up in the unreal lives of reality television and complete to acquire stuff, which is setting us up to accumulate lots of debt. We're scared, confused, and don't know who to talk to. By tuning into Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook-Noble, you'll learn tips you can use to improve your financial health, which in turn can improve your overall health and make for a very happy life. Live a life you can afford and enjoy. It is possible. Listen for Financially Speaking Radio Show every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook-Noble. To participate in the program, call in the U.S. 815-880-8255, Canada 613-800-8736, or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email by sending to kathy at bookkeepplus.ca. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I am Kathy Cook-Noble on the Inspired Choices Network. And today we are talking about acronyms. What do they all mean? OMG, there are a lot when it comes to finance. Before we went to break, we were talking about the different um, vehicles that we were using, although I didn't call them that, but I will. The different vehicles that we're going to be using and the different tools that we're going to use for these vehicles, because I think that makes it a lot easier to understand. And we know that the place that we're trading everything is at the market. And the market for us is the Dow or the TSX. And the Dow being the Dow Jones Industrial Average out of the United States and the TSX out of Toronto, the Toronto Stock Exchange. So the vehicles that we are talking about, and I mentioned a couple of them, but I didn't call them vehicles. So what I do is I like to look at um, RSPs, RESPs, TFSAs, RDSPs, and I like to say they're the vehicle at which we're investing in and how we're going to make up our portfolio. And our portfolio is just all of our financial stuff. And what we're going to do with those is we're going to use different tools. And different tools are, like we talked about earlier, mutual funds, a collection of different stocks, or GICs, which are guaranteed investment certificates, or cash, or stocks, or bonds, either government bonds or corporate bonds or private bonds. There's all kinds of different things. But those are the different tools that we're going to use and the vehicle that we're going to put them in. So think of it like this. You've got an RSP, which is a Registered Retirement Savings Plan. And in that RSP, you're going to ha- you might have a GIC, a mutual fund. You might even have a little bit of cash. So that's sort of how it looks, if you think of it as a bundle that way. And in those different, uh, those different tools, 
we have something that we started talking about is called a GIC, which is a guaranteed investment certificate. So a guaranteed investment certificate, that is probably the one that I see advertised the most. Now, do I think that everyone should have it? Definitely not. I don't think everyone should have all of these. I sometimes don't think anyone, everyone, some people should have any of them. Like there's, everything is different. Everything is special and every single person is unique and your financial situation is unique. So this is not advice to say, everybody go out and get yourself a GC, go out and get an RDSP, go out and get RESPs because, you know, you have to qualify for some of them and it has to make sense for your portfolio and for your financial plan. So you do all of this stuff inside of a plan. So it's super great and easy to just say, listen, we're going to put a plan together. This is where I want to be. This is where I am. You put a plan to say, how do I get there? And then we look at what vehicles do we use to do that? And what tools do we put in that to make these vehicles work? So that's essentially how you should be setting up a plan or an advisor will set up a plan for you. Now, inside of one of these tools is a GIC. And a GIC is Guaranteed Investment Certificate. So we know that there's something that's guaranteed, which means we're going to get it no matter what. So a Guaranteed Investment Certificate, uh, usually very conservative, they're very low risk investments, and they usually offer a required um, rate of return. And if, for example, if, if you hear the annual five-year GIC is 3.03%, then you'll know that that is the rate of return on that GIC for a fixed term of five years. So that means you got to keep it in there for five years to get your 3%. Now, you're guaranteed that. So if the market goes up or if the market goes down, it doesn't matter because you know that that's exactly what you're going to get. That makes it conservative. That makes it very predictable. And sometimes in some people's minds, they use the word safe. I don't like to use the word safe when it comes to GICs because I personally think you have to be careful of what you consider safe. If you're not keeping up with inflation, if your money isn't growing, I don't know how safe that is. Uh, that's a conversation that you want to have with your advisor and see where your risk profile is and what you're willing to accept as risk. Um, but that's one of the things that you want to look at. Now, a GIC, you can own a GIC inside of your different different tool, your different vehicles. Like you can own it inside of an RSP and a lot of people do. So, and I found a lot of people actually have a lot of GICs inside of their RSPs. Does that make it right? Does that make it the best rate of return? Does that make it the best use of your investment money? Again, very individualistic. Everybody has a separate and important financial plan that is not the same as everybody else. So we have to look at them all completely separately. So having said that, let's talk a little bit about some of these tool, these uh, vehicles that we're going to use these tools in. So an RSP, I'm going to start there because I think everybody, especially at this time of the year, is hearing about these RSPs. It's RSP season, it's time to get RSPs, what's your RSP contribution limit, uh, how much um, can you contribute as a maximum to your RSP, what's the age limit to start an RSP, all these things about RSPs. An RSP is a retirement savings plan. And RRSP is registered retirement savings plan. And I always like to joke with my class when I used to teach at the college is I'd say anything with an R that is an investment, <laughs> you can think of it as rules. 
So an RRSP is a Registered Retirement Savings Plan. So that first R could also stand for rules because that means there are rules that go with anything that's registered because you are going to get some benefits to having an RRSP. And the rules are made by the government because they're the ones that set all of these requirements for our investment vehicles. So for the RRSP, part of the rules are that you're going to invest money and it is going to reduce your taxes by a certain amount of dollars and you are going to have that money invested for a tax deferred investment time. Tax deferred meaning you're paying them, you're not paying them today. So it's not tax free, it's not tax never, it's tax deferred. That means you are paying it, you're just not paying it today. You're paying it at some time in the future. And that sometime in the future, as we know with that R, it's the rule, there is a fixed time when you have to start paying tax. So a lot of people get were confused many, many years ago and they thought, oh, I'll put it in an RSP and this is great and I get to have get money back on my taxes and it's all going to be tax free and it's growing and all this and it's tax deferred, which means that your friends in the government are going to knock in Canada on the door and say, hey, guess what? It's time for you to start paying tax. You've had all these years to grow a tax-free or tax-deferred, and now you're going to be paying some tax. And we're going to talk about that next and how that happens. But for the most part, um, when people are talking about RSPs, they're usually talking about how much can I get back to get a refund on my taxes. Things are a little bit different in the U.S. We have very similar programs. Um, you have 401ks and Roth IRAs, and that's very similar to our RSPs and TFSAs here. So they're not exactly the same, but if you think of your um, 401k as an RSP and a Roth IRA as a TFSA, it's not exactly the same, but it's got this similar concept to it. So with an RSP, because it's, and I hear people all the time saying it's RSP season, and, and I'm not going to lie, that just is the pet peeve of my existence for finance because I think that the season is all year. It's part of your plan. Either you need them or you don't, and it's all part of your financial plan. It's not a race to the, that's all I can do now, and I didn't do good planning, and I need to reduce my taxes, and boom, buy a, a RSP. So here's what happens is you buy an RSP, and when you, you hear that term all the time, you buy an RSP, you're actually investing your money in an RSP. And that RSP amount is going to reduce your taxable income on your taxes, which we're all thinking about this time of year because we're now into March. And everybody has to have that beautiful report filed to our friends at Rev Canada or the IRS in eight by April. So we're going to have our taxes paid or we're going to have taxes uh, refunded which means you're going to get some of your own money back, by the way. This is a side note. A refund on your taxes is you're getting your own money back, just so you know. It's not a bonus. You didn't get a, you didn't, you didn't win a contest. And it's not the government, re, you know, saying, hey, you're a good guy or a good girl. I'm going to give you some money because you filed your taxes right. It's actually you getting your own money back. So an RSP, the maximum contribution limit for 2017 is 18% of your previous year's income earned to a maximum of $26,010. So I know a lot of people, they're always asked how much they have for RSP contribution limit, but they have no idea how it's calculated. 
and they think it's some random number or it's just the government just dictates it based on how the moon's lined up with the stars that day or whatever the case may be. But it's actually got a real formula. It's 18% of your previous year's earned income, up to $26,010. So that is the most that you could contribute to an RSP. And here's the rules. Remember that R stands for rules. An unused contribution can be carried forward indefinitely. So it can be carried forward to the next the next year. Contributions are deductible for the previous year if you've made them within 60 days of year end. That's why this is, quote, on RSP season, unquote, because you're within 60 days of the end of the year. Contributions can be made, can be for, carried forward indefinitely and deducted in a future year. So say you invest today and you didn't actually need the deduction, then you can carry it forward to next year and use it against your taxes then. Uh, contributions to an individual RSP uh, may be made up to and including the year in which you turn 71. And by December 31st of that year, your RSP must be deregistered or transferred to our next acronym, a RIF, a Registered Retirement Income Fund. And that's what we're going to talk about after our break, a Registered Retirement Income Fund, because that is the progression of the RSP. It goes from an RSP to a RIF. So a Registered Retirement Savings Plan turns into a Registered Retirement Income Fund. So the caterpillar turns into the butterfly, if you want to think of it like that. And that's when you start to use your money is when it's in a RIF. So when we go to a, we're going to take a, our second break tonight. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you more about these RIFs and how you get your money out and how that all works when we come back. So you are listening to Financially Speaking with myself, Kathy Cook-Noble on the Inspired Choices Network. And when we return, we're going to continue to talk about acronyms and what they all mean, specifically our RIF. So BYB. Too many of us get caught up in the unreal lives of reality television and complete to acquire stuff, which is setting us up to accumulate lots of debt. We're scared, confused, and don't know who to talk to. By tuning into Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook-Noble, you'll learn tips you can use to improve your financial health, which in turn can improve your overall health and make for a very happy life. Live a life you can afford and enjoy. It is possible. Listen for Financially Speaking Radio Show every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Well, this is Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook-Noble. To participate in the program, call in the U.S. 815-880-8255, Canada 613-800-8736, or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email by sending to kathy at bookkeepplus.ca. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I am Kathy Cook-Noble on the Inspired Choices Network. And today, our show topic is about acronyms, what they all mean in the financial world. Before we went to break, we were talking about 
RSPs because it's RSP season, isn't it? <laughs> and no, it's not. For those of you just joining, I'm being sarcastic. The uh, RSPs we were talking about is registered retirement savings plans. And I always like to think of that first R meaning rules because there's a lot of rules that go with it. And we just went through some of those contribution rules and it leads us into our next acronym called a RIF, a registered retirement income fund. So this is what happens when people get RSPs. They put them in, they, they are investing their money and buying RSPs in quotes because that's really what people say, but they're not buying RSPs, they're investing their money in an RSP. And that's their money, it's growing tax deferred for their retirement, right? Hence the name. So what happens is your money gets invested and it has to stay invested. Now, if you withdraw it, you have to pay the tax. So if you withdraw it early, you pay the tax, you lose your contribution allowance, which means that amount that you took you withdrew, you can't add it in next year. It's it's gone, it's over. But you get a new contribution allowance next year based on your income and based on the maximum that you're allowed by the government. So let's say you don't withdraw anything. You go you're retired. You're now at the age of seventy one. Seventy one is the magic the first magic age in the RSP, which is where everything you have to convert all your RSPs into what's called a RIF, a registered retirement income fund. So they just move from this RSP category into a RIF category. And then you have to start taking the minimum amount of your of your RIF out. So you're required by seven, age 71 to start paying some tax. Now, it can just be the minimum amount depending on your income. So any interest or capital gains or dividends, they compound on a deferred basis, tax deferred basis still. And the investors have to make the minimum annual withdrawal, the investor being you. You have to start taking some of your money. That's what they say. Remember, it comes with rules. And payments received from a RIF are included in your income the year they're withdrawn. So when you take your money out of your RIF, like you have to, you're going to pay tax on it. It's 100% taxable because it's now income and it goes on your income. So you can't use that as a write-off again. So this is where we've gotten that however many years of tax deferred growth. Now you're going to start paying for it. Okay. So <clears throat> that's great. We're 71. We're taking the minimum amount out. By the time we're 91, all the tax has to be paid whether you need the money or not. So you're not going to go forever and just keep going with the minimum. You're going to have to pay the tax eventually because that R, I like to think, is rules. So here's who the risks are suited for. If in general, right, these are just some general guidelines. There are people that are 71 and you want to continue to take advantage of continuing growing your continued growth of your money tax deferred. So you take it from an RSP and you roll it into a RIF. And then you also sometimes people know how much they want to withdraw every year. And you can set that up as an annuity too. There's different options if you want to roll in from an RSP to an annuity or you do a, a RIF. Um, investors which is you, you should rebalance your portfolio and retire to make sure that you have enough income for the short term and for the long term. So remember, when you start taking your money out, you're starting to reduce the amount of money that's in there. And that means that you might be taking it from one spot and now you're out of balance. That's a conversation you're going to have with your advisor and your advisor is probably going to recommend something to you. So don't panic. Don't think you have to know how to do it. That's where... That's what your advisor gets paid for. Okay? So your RIF rolls in, your RSP rolls into a RIF. You're now retired 
And that's the end of it for the taxes on the tax deduction side of it. <clears throat> so we've got some uh, great questions in the uh, chat room here, which you're all welcome to join us if you want to go on to Inspired Choices Network and just join us live in the chat room. That'd be great. Who pays the advisor? That is such a great question. And it's probably one of those questions that's not getting answered very well in the traditional press. The advisor is either paid two ways. It's either paid by the company that's doing the investment, that you're doing the investment with. And no, one company is not an advantage over another. They're all equal on the payments. Or you're paying them yourself if they're a fee-based investor or advisor. Sorry. So if your advisor is fee-based, that means you sit down kneecap to kneecap at the table and you say, hey, I want you to do this plan for me. The advisor does the plan. You pay them directly. If it's not a fee-based and it's a commission-based, then the company that they're investing with pays their the advisor's company the commission and then they get paid based on whatever their their uh, contract is with the company. So what would you, why would you pick one over the other? Because it can affect the MERs, our, our next acronym, which is your management expense ratio. And what that means is, and there's a lot of talk in the press right now, and it's it's confusing, and it's not entirely accurate, and there's some information out there that people are relating to the Canadian market, and it's actually the American market, and it's just, it's confusing, and it's frustrating, and the the fact of the matter is that the advisors are getting paid. And your fun fact that we talked about before shows net of fees. So if you're making a return on your fund, that's after all the fees are paid. At least that's how it should be, and that's how you should read it. And you sh if you don't see it that way, then ask your advisor, because that's what they'll show you how that works. But management expense ratio, that is how much the management team get paid that handles the money and handles the fund. So this is actually your portfolio manager. So this is the guy or the girl who's at the market that we were talking about. They're the ones that go in and say, I'll buy those stocks and I'll buy those stocks and I'll buy shares in that company. They're the ones that are making those decisions. That's not the decisions we make. The decisions we make are, this is the plan that we want. These are the funds that we're interested in. And then the portfolio managers, the, the, the person that's looking after the actual fund. And that's their job to know all the math and the metrics and the historical data and what happens when the president sneezes. Does that affect the market? That's their job to know that. And that's what they do. So that's how they get paid. It's the management expense ratio. And it might only be one or two or sometimes 3%. But mutual fund fees are coming down. And that's just the reality of it, that the fees are coming down. And there's a lot of conversation in the press about it and a lot of misinformation. And there's a lot of people out there that that don't understand. And they're looking, oh, I'm paying these fees and I don't want to pay any fees. Well, you have to look at your returns on your on your investments. You have to look at, hey, I'm making money. If I'm making 10 or 12%, do I care that the management is making 2 or 3%? Versus, oh, I'm not paying any fees and I'm making 3% on my money. So you have to look at it from a rational point of view and say, does it make sense? Because in all industries, you have to look at and say, hey, am I paying $50 an hour for somebody who's not doing a very good job? Or am I paying $100 an hour for somebody who's doing this super fantastic job and has saved me a ton of money or made me a ton of money? 
And that's in any industry. If you're getting your car fixed, you're paying so much an hour for your mechanic, but they're doing a great job and you don't have to worry about your brakes falling off your car as you drive down the road, or you save money because you paid a cheaper hourly rate, but the car never starts and the wheels never turn. So you have to look at it from a rational point of view. And that's what your advisor is there to help you with. So a couple more acronyms that we're going to lead into. And these are three of the popular ones. You've got our DSPs, our ESPs, and TFSAs. So uh, our DSP, I'm going to start with first, because I think that's the one that there's a lot of people out there who qualify for it and don't know. It's a registered disability savings plan. And a registered disability savings plan is somebody, ready for another acronym? Somebody has the DTC, which is the disability tax credit. And that's, so you have to be, this is for my Canadian friends only, that you have to be a resident of Canada, you cannot be older than age 60, and you have to have a valid social insurance number. You also have to be the recipient of the disability tax credit. So if you're a recipient of disability tax credit, and you are Canadian, and you're under 60, and you have a, a social insurance number, you qualify for the RDSP, which is a registered disability savings plan. And that's where you need somebody like me to do the paperwork and apply for you. Uh, you need an advisor that's licensed to be able to do this for you um, as far as the investments go you can actually apply for yourself but to do the investments you have to have someone help you with that i think um, anyone can contribute to it it's meant to be as as a if it's a recipient obviously um, you don't have to contribute to it it's meant to be a retirement plan for someone with disability so if there's two parts to it there's a grant and a bond the bond you get you don't have to do anything for it the grant they match and give you money the government gives you money based on how much you put into it. You are not required to deposit any money into an investment, but obviously if they're going to give you $3 for a dollar that you put in, you might want to look at that. But the bond you're going to get anyway. So you will get some money. Um, it's, then it's the same story as an RSP. The money contributes to, you, that you contribute to, it grows uh, for your retirement. You don't pay tax on it right away. There's the... Um, withdrawals that you are restricted to because you can't just go and take money out like you say oh I want some money I'll take it out you can't do that there has there's a lot of rules that go with that and you can't start withdrawing the money it has to be invested for 10 years so it's forcing you it's a it's a nice way <laughs> in a nice way to force you to save your money if you have a disability and in that there's two real quick acronyms I'm going to give you there's the CDSG which is the Canada Disability Savings Grant and that's where the government deposits money into the RDSP to help you save. They do a matching grant of 300, 200, or 100%. It's phenomenal. And it depends on the amount you contribute. And there's a maximum of 3500 a year, a lifetime maximum of 70000 a year. And it's again, it's based on how much you contribute. It's also based on your family's net income. So there's some cool stuff there. The CDSB is the Canada Disability Savings Bond. And this is where the government deposits money into your RDSP. Usually you have low income, modest income Canadians. And if you qualify, you can receive up to $1,000 a year with a lifetime of 20000 a year. So you don't, that the Canada Disability Savings Grant is where you put money in and they match it. The Canada Disability Savings Bond is where you get it. You don't have to put money in. So that's a really cool investment for people who qualify that have a disability tax credit. The next one is going to be the RESP, and that is our Registered Education Savings Plan. This is basically for parents who want to prepare for the kids' education. 
And it could be grandparents, it could be friends, it could be aunts, uncles, cousins, neighbors, whoever that wants to contribute to the RESP. But you want to be careful not to have RESPs all over the place. You want to have them contained and controlled because you're only allowed to contribute. Again, remember RESP, that's rules. You can't contribute more than 50000 per child uh, as a maximum lifetime contribution. So we don't want grandma and grandpa getting all excited and going out and opening an RESP and putting 50000 in, and then mom and dad open up an RESP, and next thing you know, you're in trouble because you've over-contributed to the RESP, and then you will be in trouble with um, the government because you broke the rules. So we want to make sure we follow the rules. And there's also another a CESG, of course, to keep with our acronyms, which are super cool. That is the Canadian Education Savings Grant. So based on, it's similar to the RDSP, based on your income, your family's income, you can qualify for government grant money. And it will grow and be tax deferred. And it's fantastic. It's a cool tool. It helps for education purposes. There's a lot of other rules that go with it. But in a nutshell, that's what it's for. And it has to stay invested for a certain period of time, has to stay, be used for certain certain things that you can't just withdraw because you want to buy a TV. It doesn't work like that. So remember, that R comes with some rules. So if everybody's still with me and your head's not spinning and you're thinking, oh my goodness, or are you thinking, oh my goodness, this is super cool. All these acronyms I didn't understand, now I get it. So you can have RESPs, you can also have RDSPs, and you can have RSPs. You can have them all. You can have all the acronyms and now you know what to do with them or at least where you can start placing your your money inside of them. So let's take a break while we absorb all these acronyms. And when we return, we're going to talk about one more acronym, which is gaining popularity, but it's probably one of my favorites. So we're going to save it till the end. And when we return, we're going to talk about that. You are listening to Financially Speaking with myself, Kathy Cook-Noble, on the Inspired Choices Network. When we return, we're going to continue to talk about acronyms. What do they all mean in the financial world? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Too many of us get caught up in the unreal lives of reality television and complete to acquire stuff, which is setting us up to accumulate lots of debt. We're scared, confused, and don't know who to talk to. By tuning into Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook-Noble, you'll learn tips you can use to improve your financial health, which in turn can improve your overall health and make for a very happy life. Live a life you can afford and enjoy. It is possible. Listen for Financially Speaking Radio Show every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Well, this is Financially Speaking Radio Show with financial advisor and educator Kathy Cook-Noble. To participate in the program, call in the U.S. 815-880-8255, Canada 613-800-8736, or Skype us at Inspired Choices Network. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email by sending to kathy at bookkeepplus.ca. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I am Kathy Cook-Noble, and we are on the Inspired Choices Network. And today, our show topic is acronyms. What do they all mean? So before we went to break, we were talking about 
our RESPs, our, our DSPs, our RRSPs, and all the rules that go with them because they are registered. They do have rules. We are also we had also talked about how all these things come together and what market they're at and the way that they get traded, which is cool under the Dow and the TSX. So that's just in the Canada and the United States. Uh, there's markets all around the world, and everybody has different trading markets, and they all trade their different companies in those com- countries on those markets. But I want to talk to you about one last acronym, which is really cool, and it is the TFSA. And this one you start to hear more about, but most people in in Canada, this is a this is a special Canadian acronym TFSA, and it stands for Tax Free Savings Account. So do not be fooled by the name and think that it is just a regular bank account. It is so not. It is one of the best investment tools. It's very very cool because you can invest any of the funds, almost any of the funds, um, a lot of them that you would invest in an RSP. You can also invest them in the TFSA. And it's a great tax, it's a great tool because it's tax free. That means not tax deferred, not tax later, not tax ever. It's tax free. So you invest your money in this particular vehicle and you grow your money and all of that growth is tax free. So it's really cool. Now, of course, we have some rules because it was set up by the government. So there's some rules we have to, we have to follow. And you have to be Canadian and you have to be over 18 to have it. So you can set up a TFSA and you, if you're 18 years old today, you can start a TFSA and you get a $5,500 contribution allowance. So it's not based on income. It's not based on age. It's not based on height. It's not based on gender. It's not based on anything except uh, the year that you were 18 and you can open it then. So for any of you that are a little bit older than 18, so maybe you're, if you were 18 in the year 2009 when it came into existence, you actually have all the contribution allowance that you are allowed to have on it, which is every individual person can take the contribution allowance and max it out. So if you're looking at doing your TFSA, then you can put some money in if you have $5,500. If you're 18, that's all you can put in. If you're older than 18, you can put in a little bit more because that's about $5,500 a year. There's some changes and adjustments, and it's just over $50,000 right now as your contribution allowance. But the cool thing is you actually don't lose your contribution allowance. So unlike the RSP, if you were to withdraw it, you're allowed to put it back in. So if you withdrew $1,000, you can put $1,000 back in. Now, you want to talk with your advisor and make sure you do it right with the timing because there's a little bit of finessing on the timing that you have to make sure is right, but you don't lose the contribution allowance room. And the withdrawals are tax-free, which is cool. And you can use them for anything you want, so there's no restrictions. Um, Any amount can be withdrawn any time, and it can be recontributed in uh, the future if you want to. They're, They're not eligible to write off on your taxes, so it's not like an RSP like that. But you certainly uh, grow your money tax-free, which is really cool. Um, and that's one of the, pro- the reasons this program got set up was it was to encourage people to invest. And the government was helped. The intention was for the government to have people starting to invest their money. However, um, 
most people are using it as a bank account. They're not using it as an investment. So you want to have a look at that or have a conversation. If you're out there and you're thinking, I have a TFSA and I don't think it's being used as an investment, talk to your advisor and ask them about it because you certainly have the opportunity to do that. Um, and again, because it's a government program, you're going to get in trouble if you contribute more than that. There's penalties, so don't do that. So whatever, depending on your age and how much you're allowed to contribute, don't go over your maximum of contribution allowance. And the big difference between the RSPs, which um, came around, it came into existence in 1950, and the TFSAs, which came in around 2009, is you can't deduct them off your taxes, the TFSAs, and they grow tax-free, not tax-deferred. So that's enough acronyms for tonight. Uh, I think unless people are sitting there thinking, oh, I could do more. But <laughs> if that's the case, then uh, email me and I'll share a lot more with you because there's so many more out there and they're a lot of fun. But next week, I want to talk to you about our next show because we're going to talk about the difference between bookkeeping and accounting. So as some of you might know, I am an, a financial advisor and a bookkeeper. We own a financial company. And there is a difference between what you do as a bookkeeper and what you do as an accountant. So what's the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant, there is a difference. And what do you do? Do you need both? Do you need one? Do you need the other? How does it work? So we're gonna we're gonna talk about bookkeeping and accounting next week, which is uh, you know another fun topic for me. I think it's a lot of fun and it's pretty cool. And you know what? Those of you that are in business out there, small business, sole proprietor, incorporated, partnership, uh, you have five employees, ten employees, fifty employees you're going to want to know the difference because sometimes you need your bookkeeper, sometimes you need an accountant, sometimes you need both. So you want to join us next week and we're going to talk about that. And we're going to clear up any questions or confusion. Hopefully we can do it all in an hour. So always remember you can join us in our chat room live. You can call in. Uh, you can email me directly at kathy at bookkeepplus.ca. You're always welcome to email me questions or um, if you have confusion about any specific issue, I can try and help you with that. So don't sit and wonder, oh my goodness, how do I do this? Or who do I call? If I don't know the answer, I probably know someone who does. So call, email, or join us in the chat room and we will help you find the answers to your questions. So with that, I'm going to welcome you back next week and we will talk about <clears throat> bookkeeping versus accounting and what we do and when we do it. So until next week, love your numbers and embrace your finances and change your life. We'll see you next week. Thank you for choosing to listen to Financially Speaking Radio Show. Kathy Cook Noble will return next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspireChoicesNetwork.com. We hope you'll join us. Until then, have the best week of your life by making the choices that bring you all that you desire.